Um, I'm excited to be with you this morning and continue our Broken Savior series. We're, we're kind of walking through the book of Judges together. Um, Lyle came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm going to be out on June 10th. I want you to preach. I want you to continue this series. And he kind of basically said, you can pick whichever judge you want. Okay? So I kind of got the number one draft pick of what judge I wanted to talk about this morning. And so I kind of thought about it. And it, really, this is a simple choice for me because when I grew up in East Tennessee, I was kind of like all boy. And what I mean by that is I was sports, like ramping your bike off of hills, aggravating my sister as much as possible, like all things that boys do. And when I was growing up, I really loved my favorite characters were like the super buff, crazy, strong people. Because all boys, that's kind of what we're into, right? So my first love growing up when I was little was this guy, um, the Incredible Hulk. That's my boy because he's just gigantic. Um, I have a shirt um, that I used to wear all the time. Uh, there was an incredible Hulk shirt that is now Lincoln's favorite shirt. Um, it's that time that he can kind of fit into it. Hulk, his, in, his, in his opinion, Hulk is scary, but he still kind of loves it, right? Yeah, he is a little scary, but we kind of dig him anyway, right? And so I kind of I graduated from Incredible Hulk to this guy. Some of you guys will know who this is. That's He-Man, right? That's the guy that like, was a normal dude until he stuck his sword up in the sky, and then he was just like ripped. Right. Wrote a wrote a saber tooth tiger cat. Like awesome. OK, so like that was my boy. I was into He-Man a lot when my parents actually let me start watching like real movies. Um, this was my boy. Um, this was Conan. That's Schwarzenegger before he became the governor of California. I mean, look at those arms, y'all. Like, look at that. I mean, dude is jacked. Right. So I love Conan um, for a long time. Uh, and basically to this day, I'm still obsessed with Braveheart. Braveheart's my boy, and you're like, oh, Braveheart's not as big, no, but that sword is, right? And so if you're swinging that sword, you got mad skills, and so I'm a big Braveheart fan. And even today, one of my favorite guys is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Like, look at that. Y'all, that is beast. Like, any guy who tells you that he does not somewhat kind of want to look like that is lying to you, okay? Like, at some point, we have all wanted to be like that, right? And so... You may be able to kind of figure out what judge I picked based off of my love, right? And it's, yeah. Uh, and some of you, the, the, the last time that I was really kind of, I dove into the story of this guy was in a really unique way. This next picture, this is one of our former church members. It's a guy named Cliff Forbes. Um, and this is Cliff as Samson when he performs in the opera Samson and Delilah. And this is, I got the opportunity to see him do this when he performed this musical with the San Diego Opera. You know you love somebody when you go sit through a three-hour opera in general. Um, this one was not in a language I understood. Luckily, I know the story of Samson and Delilah, so I was like, I could follow this, right? But my first kind of introduction to Samson growing up was with this thing called the flannel graph. Or the flannel board. Did anybody grow up in like old school church and you remember when they used to teach children's stories using flannel people? Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's weird. We would pull out this blue flannel board and then they would teach, the way they would teach the Bible stories, this is before every classroom had a TV and stuff. They would pull out the characters and slap them on the flannel board, right? And teach you the story that way. And here's the thing. You could get Peter and Paul mixed up real easy. Because we, they look the same. This one week it'd be Peter, next week it'd be John, next week it'd be somebody different. 
You know who you never got mixed up? Samson. Because Samson was jacked. Right? And as a boy growing up, that was one of my favorite stories. Because Samson, if you read through it, he does some crazy stuff. Like superhero, superhuman strength stuff. Right? And so as a little boy, it was one of my favorite stories. Because it's this guy like ripping apart lions and beating thousands of guys down. And pushing pillows over. And it was just this like super like good story that kind of stuck in my brain. But the more I've grown and the more I study God's word, the more I've matured, we're able to see, man, Samson's story is tragic. It, it is a story of someone who absolutely takes a life and wastes it. And so as I kind of preparing, preparing for this sermon, um, I kind of thought about, you know, like if you're on Facebook or you're on um, websites now, we love those articles that are like, hey, five ways to be more efficient. Three ways to love your spouse. Seven ways to clean your house. Like our staff just got done reading a book, like 10, I don't even remember if it's 10 or 12, 10 ways that technology is changing you. Right? We love those stories, like we love articles like that because like this is going to give me a bite-sized answer that I can just grab onto and this is just going to, you know, radically change things. And so I thought, okay, let's do that today. And so... Um, as I kind of worked through this this week, it kind of came really easy. And so this morning, this sermon is, is really encouraging. It's entitled, um, How to Ruin Your Life in Four Easy Steps. Okay? How to Ruin Your Life in Four Easy Steps. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of do a flyover of Samson's life this morning and kind of give you some really easy, practical steps that if you're looking to ruin your life, here they are. But on the flip side, if you're looking... To not sabotage your life, then what I hope is that we're going to point out four things to you this morning that are some things that we kind of need to make ourselves aware of. Okay? Now, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Judges, and we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of fly over chapters 13 through 16 of Judges. We, we could spend a month or six weeks just on Samson's life by itself. There's so much in here. There's so much to dive into, and so we're not going to try to knock it all out this morning. Amen. I know you're excited about that. And so we're going to kind of fly over that this morning. So what I, I want to start here in chapter 13 at kind of the origin story of Samson. If, if, you're, if you're a Marvel superhero fan, like every movie that comes out now is, is a superhero movie, it seems like, there are all these origin stories. Like one of the biggest movies out right now is Solo, right? That for all our Star Wars fans, what is that? Well, it's, it's like an origin story because we want to know where Han Solo came from, right? So we're going to start here in chapter 13. This is kind of like the, the origin story of Samson. Like where, where is he coming from? What kind of what's going on here? And so if you look in Judges chapter 13, verse one, it says that again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What's the first word of that verse? Again. We've heard this. Man, this is, this is that repetitive cycle that we find the nation of Israel in. Rebellion against God, uh, moving away from him over and over and over again. And they have to be reminded over and over and over again who they are as God's chosen people and, and be reclaimed. And then they get back into a good space and then that cycle starts all over again. And so we're here again. Again, again, the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Some translations will say, again, the people did what was right in their own eyes. 
First thing we need to understand this morning really quickly is this, is that it doesn't matter what you and I think. If it's evil in the sight of the Lord, guess what? It's evil. Don't matter what your opinion is. And that, that's, that's the part where every, this is the cheeriest part of the message, right? Isn't this encouraging? It doesn't matter, guys. What we see here is the Israelite nation got to a place where they were doing whatever they wanted to. And, and the, the understanding of that means that they didn't really even see anything wrong with it anymore. They had gotten to a place where they were so far removed from being under God's guidance and his leadership that they just basically were doing whatever they wanted to, and it didn't even seem wrong to them anymore. But what they were doing was, again, evil in the sight of the Lord. So there's consequences, and we see that. It says, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. This is a familiar premise for us in scripture, right? I mean, we, we know this premise with Abraham and Sarah. We know this premise with Hannah. We know this premise in the New Testament with uh, Elizabeth and John the Baptist. We know this premise with Mary and Joseph and the birth of Christ. That one's a little bit different than this one. But here we again have a couple who, who the wife is, is barren. And God intervenes in this story and says, you're going to have a son, right? And his son is going to be Samson. And we look on down at the, at the last part of verse 5 and we see what his purpose is going to be. At the last part of verse 5. In chapter 13, it says that he, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So the Lord comes to this family and says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. The son is going to be Samson. And here's what his purpose is. His purpose is to take the lead in delivering Israel from the Philistines. That's his calling. That's his, that's his task, right? So you, so are we all on the same page here, Okay. This is who Samson has been designated as. He is, the, he is a judge. He is a person who is going to come and he is going to deliver the Israelite people from the Philistines. And what we're about to see for the next few minutes here is how Samson takes his purpose and his calling and he completely blows it up. And in the process of that, how he ruins his life. So are you ready for your four, for your four steps? Are you excited about them? Are you pumped? Right? Here's step one. Okay, if you really want to ruin your life, step one is is simple, and that's just just treat temptation as if if it's harmless. Just treat temptation as if it's harmless. That's that's the first step to ruining your life, right? Look in Judges. Look in chapter fourteen with me. So if you if you read through the rest of chapter thirteen of Judges. It kind of talks about Samson's parents are trying to figure out how we're supposed to raise this kid. What's this going to look like? And that kind of wraps up 13. And then at the start of 14, we actually start kind of seeing Samson's life unfold, right? And so verse 1, verse 1 of Samson's life unfolding. Here we go. 14, verse 1. So Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Okay? So Jeff paraphrase. Samson went to a Philistine neighborhood, 
where he knew Philistine women would be. He saw one that was hot. And he came home and said, hey, mom and dad, I saw a hot chick today. I want you to go get her for me as my wife. Now, Samson's parents, if you read on, did what all of our good parents do. And they tried to talk sense to him. And try to say, that's maybe not the best idea, Samson. Like, maybe there's a nice girl from our people that maybe you could find. And he was like, nah, I'm going to take that one. What, what was Samson's purpose again? To lead what? The Israelite people out of captivity to who? The Philistines. And what's the first thing he does? Hey, I found the Philistine chick. She's hot. God, I, I, you didn't tell me they were going to be hot. I'm going to I'm gonna choose her. Now, if you read the rest of chapter 14, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, it does not go well. Shocked. Turn over to chapter 16. Look at verse 1 here. One day, Samson went to Gaza. Gaza is the capital city of the Philistine nation. Not just like some little Philistine village. He's going to like the, the Mecca. This is the New York City. This is the metropolis of Philistine society. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. What's Samson's purpose? What's his calling? Now, we're going to participate this morning in church. What's his purpose? He's to deliver the Israelite people out of the captivity of the Philistines. What's he now doing? Let's go visit their prostitutes. That's usually frowned upon in God's kingdom. And we haven't even made it to Delilah yet. What we see here is Samson had a problem. Samson was a womanizer. Samson could not control his eyes and his flesh when the ladies were around. And what we saw is that Samson treated temptation as if it was harmless. Because we know that because he would actively put himself in position to give in to that temptation. Now church, I need you to understand. If somebody walked down this aisle right now with a plate of celery... I am not tempted by that. You can walk down here and, hey, bro, we'll give you this whole plate of celery. I can, with 100% full conscious say, no, thank you. You can walk down that aisle with a house salad. And I'm like, is honey mustard on there? Nope. You keep it. No temptation for me whatsoever. You walk down that aisle with a plate of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, we got problems. I'm going to take a sermon break. We're going to have a five-minute intermission while I eat these cookies. Don't we all kind of know what our temptations are, if we're honest with ourselves? Don't you kind of know your, your own areas of weakness? I think we do. If you want to wreck your life, just treat that temptation like it's harmless. The pornography epidemic in our country is crazy. Over 50% of Christ-following, church-going men have admitted to having an ongoing relationship with pornography. These are, this is not lost people. This is 50% of, peop, of the men who are in our churches on a weekly basis 
have admitted to have an ongoing problem with pornography. That's not including the people who didn't admit to it. And you know how that, you know how that addiction starts? It starts with, it starts with a guy just hopping on his computer saying, this is not that big a deal. This is not that big a deal. I'm going to treat this like it's harmless. Some of us in here, our, our temptation is we talk, we just, we can't help but gossip about people. We just can't, we can't help it. We got to talk about what's going on in other people's lives. And not because we're praying them through it, just because we got to talk about it. Some of us, our, our temptation in here is, is materialism. We want to look, we want to look the part. We want to look good to people. We want people to think we've got it all together. I, I don't know what it is for you, what your temptation is, but you probably do. Right? Don't you probably know what your own weakness is? But the problem is, is that we continue to put ourselves in those situations. Because we continue to think this is not that big of a deal. This is harmless. If you want to ruin your life, keep doing that. And that's what we see Samson do. Samson continues to put himself in positions that are harmful. Positions that are going to tempt him and positions that he continues just to give into freely. Because he doesn't think it's that big of a deal. He thinks he can overcome it. So that's the first step. You want to ruin your life? Just treat temptation like it's harmless. Here's step two. Confuse your position. You want to ruin your life? Confuse your position. Just totally kind of get things out of whack. What was Samson's purpose again? To deliver the Israelite nation from the Philistines, right? Who gave him that purpose? God, right? If you know the story of Samson, do we see Samson get into some battles and some skirmishes with the Philistines? Yeah, we, we surely do. But are those battles based on God's purpose or Samson's purpose? They're based on Samson's a lot of time. Go back to chapter 14. You remember the girl that he thought was super hot? And he said, I want to marry her. And his parents try to talk him out of it. Well, they don't. They can't talk him out of it. And so he goes. And if you read the chapter 14, it's kind of crazy. He goes and they're going to have this big feast. And he comes up with this riddle and tells them a riddle. And they're mad because they can't figure it out. And his wife's crying for seven days because they won't answer the riddle. And her family's getting mad and all this stuff. And Samson's just having a ball with it. And it does not end good. People die. But Samson is like oblivious. So if you go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go to chapter 15. If you go to Judges chapter 15, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and he went down to visit his wife, that girl. And he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. Verse 2, I was so sure that you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Here's Samson's response. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines and I will really harm them. Samson got his feelings hurt. Samson had his pride hurt. So what does he do? Well, this is one of those crazy stories for Samson, right? You know what he does? He somehow catches 300 foxes. I had, 
I had three foxes living in my back. That's over here. I had three foxes living in my backyard for like three months. I don't know how you catch them. Like they would literally just sit in the parking lot of our church, just chill. And you'd come outside and they'd just look at you like, bro, you can't catch me. You're not doing anything to me. Samson catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together in pairs. So he, he makes 150 tag teams of foxes. Ties torches to their tails and sends them loose in the Philistines' fields. Like, that's why I love Samson as a kid. Because that sounds awesome as a kid. You're like, dude, I want to catch foxes and tie torches to their tails and light things on fire. That's what Samson does. And so the people are like, the Philistines are like, who has done this? And it's like Samson. He's like, it was Samson. And listen to what he says in verse 7. Oh, and side note, this is right after the Philistines took um, his wife and her father and burned them. Happy story there, just side note. Samson says to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my, what? Revenge on you. See, what was Samson's purpose? It was to deliver Israel from the captivity of the Philistines, and and God was the one who gave him that purpose. But what was Samson more concerned with? His own purpose, his own life, what he wanted to do. See, Samson had confused his position. Samson thought that what he wanted and how he wanted to live his life was the goal and was the standard. He fought battles against the Philistines, but they weren't righteous battles. They weren't battles because the Philistine army was degrading his God. They weren't battles because the Philistine army was blaspheming against Yahweh. They were battles because he didn't like the way that the Philistines were treating or responding to him. You want to ruin your life? Confuse your position. Make yourself the first and most important person in your life. Doesn't that sound like our country right now? Just those first two things? We live in a country where people treat temptation like it's harmless. And we live in a country where everybody is more concerned about doing what they think is right or what feels good to them or what is going to make them happy. Correct? You want to ruin your life. Treat temptation like it's harmless and confuse your position. Elevate yourself over God. Here's the third thing. You want to ruin your life? Trust your own wisdom. Trust your own wisdom. We like to think we're smart, don't we? Nobody wants to admit it. Don't we like to think we can figure stuff out? I can't tell you the amount of times I've been at my house and something has broken or does not work. And I will literally for 10 minutes think I can figure it out. And then I blow something up. And I have to call Mark Stevens or I have to call Michael Richardson and be like, hey, I, I have no clue what I have just done to my house. Can you please come fix it? And you know what it takes to make those phone calls? It takes a little humility, right? You got to admit, I can't do this. We, we, we experience this all the time during G Future Week when we go and we help some of our senior adults 
trim their branches or, or trim their hedges, almost every single time one of our senior adults will come out and say, man, I used to love doing this. I used to love being outside and doing this, and now I just can't anymore. And they're not happy about it because it means they now have to depend on somebody else to do that. We don't like to feel that way. We don't like to feel like we are dependent on somebody else. We like to think that we can handle it, that we can deal with it, that we can, we can figure things out. That's what we see Samson do his entire life is trust his own wisdom. You know how many times we see Samson call out to God in this story? Twice. Do what? The second one, the first one is he calls out to God because he's thirsty. You know why he's thirsty? He's just killed a thousand dudes with a donkey's jawbone. So you little parched after that. That's another one of those Samson moments. You're like, dude, I love this story because he just killed a thousand people with the bone of a donkey. And in that moment, it tells us that he just cries out to God, hey, I'm thirsty, Lord. Give me my water. You know when the second time is? It's after he's had his eyes gouged out. He's lost his strength. He's captured. He's tied up. And he says, Sovereign Lord, please remember me. The rest of the time, Samson's trusting his own wisdom. When he caught 300 foxes and tied them together, that's his own idea. That was not a God-given dream. Or vision, like, hey, Samson, this is how I want you to handle that. That was just Samson, oh, look, there's 300 foxes. It's a great idea. Let's do this. Don't we do this a lot, church? We trust what our eyes can see. We trust what we can understand. We trust ourselves. Now, does Scripture tell us that God will give us wisdom? Yeah. And how do, how do, how do, we, how do we get it? What do we have to do? You just ask for it. God will freely give you wisdom if you ask for it. So you, you can gain a ton of wisdom. But guess what? Do we ever have more wisdom than God? We can't. Because he's our source of wisdom. So no matter how mature we get, how far we grow, how much we improve, we will never, ever be able to surpass our God in his wisdom and his sovereignty. So it doesn't matter if you've asked God for wisdom every day of your life for 70 years. Should we ever get to a place where we trust our own wisdom over God's? Should never get there. But we do it a lot. You want to ruin your life? Treat temptation like it's harmless. Confuse your position and trust your own wisdom. Here's the fourth thing. You want to ruin your life? Just exempt yourself from obedience. Just exempt yourself from obedience. You flash back to Samson's origin story, and basically we're told that Samson is going to be a Nazarite. Okay? A Nazarite was someone who would follow the Nazarite vow, and that vow had three main um, purposes in it. Okay, or three main tenets to it. The first is you don't cut your hair. Okay, 
The second was you don't partake of the fruit of the vine, whether it's fermented or not. And third was you don't touch a corpse. You don't defile yourself by touching a corpse. Now, what we see in Samson's life is that Samson exempted himself from obedience pretty quick. Not only do we see him saying, oh, I know what my purpose is, is to deliver the Israelite people, but I'm going to go hook up with this Philistine chick. We see all across his life him having really no concern about obedience. Because if you go back to chapter um, 15, no, I'm sorry, chapter 14, you go down, go to verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and his mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, I don't have confidence I could tear a young goat apart myself. I did not think it would be good to try that on stage this morning. We wouldn't appreciate that. But evidently, Samson could tear apart a young goat very simply. Um, and what happens is the spirit of the Lord comes upon him to where he's now able to do that with a lion. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Now, tearing a lion apart, that's another part of the story. As a kid, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, you not only fought the lion, you tore it apart. Like, Dwayne Johnson. Like, yes. But what's the problem with the fact that he tore apart a lion? It's a corpse, right? It's a violation. You keep going right there in verse 8. Sometime later, he went back to marry her. He turned aside to look at what? The lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Normal, normal decision here. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Doesn't that sound like a good lunch lunch option today? There's a dead lion over there. There's bees in it. Oh, they got honey in there? Delicious. What's the problem here? What's the problem? The honey is where? In a lion's carcass. So what does that make the honey? It's unclean. It's defilement. Samson just scoops it up, eats it. Says, hey, mom, dad, this is great. Y'all try it. What that shows is an attitude. Samson has exempted himself from obedience. Samson is arrogant. Samson is prideful. Samson is in that place where he's like, dude, I am a beast. I can kill things. I can take people out. I can kill thousands of people. If they make me mad, I can catch foxes. I can rip lines apart. There's not really anything I can't do. So if I want to eat honey off of a dead lion carcass, I can do it. You want to ruin your life, exempt yourself from obedience. God's word is really clear in a lot of ways, isn't it, church? Sometimes don't we like to complicate it and confuse it to try to give ourselves some wiggle room? But isn't God's word pretty clear? What's the most important command that we find in Scripture? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is find some wiggle room to get out of that. No. God's word is crystal clear. Our, our main goal is to love God 
with everything that we got. How do you love God? We show obedience. I feel that at my house when my son is obedient. I'm so, oh, I love you so much right now. You didn't torch the house with 5,000 matchbox cars. I love that so much. I feel loved, Lincoln. I wish there was some magic word I could go home and just tell my son, like some magic saying that would just produce obedience. Doesn't happen. Don't you wish kind of that for yourselves as a Christian? Don't you wish that when you first accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that part of the process was like, fantastic, here's salvation, and here's an extra bonus, you're never going to have to struggle with sin again. Wouldn't that be so nice? But where does God grow us and stretch us? Isn't it a lot of times more in the moments of disobedience? I can walk up to my son now and say, Lincoln, do you want me to bust your butt? And his response is very quickly, no, I don't. You know where he learned that? From getting his butt busted once. And that stretched his obedience. Obedience, guys, is something we have to learn, isn't it? Isn't it something we have to learn and grow into and mature into? You can't do that if you just exempt yourself from it. Don't we see people doing that all the time? Don't we see churches doing that sometimes? Saying, hey, we love God's word, but this part right here, we're just going to kind of exempt it. Hey, we think God's word is great, but this thing, we think we'd reach, we'd, we would reach more people if we just exempted this. You want to ruin your life, man, exempt yourself from obedience. When God gives us the freedom of life that comes with salvation, we're told that our sin is cast off from us as far as the east is from the west, right? But when we come to faith in Christ, we're also given a command that daily take up your what? Cross and what? Follow me. Every day. Daily, you take up your cross and you follow me. What's Another way of saying that, daily, you give up the sin in your life and you obey. Samson's story is one where we see somebody who just exempted themselves from obedience and they thought that they were above everything else. I purposely didn't talk much about Delilah today because I think we've, we've heard that story a ton. We talk about it a lot. You know that. You know that story. And what you see is you get to this bottom moment of, of the story with Samson, and it's just sad. You see this guy who had been called out, who'd been given a purpose, who'd been given supernatural, like superhero strength, and the ability to do amazing things for God. And he spent his entire life doing him and just focusing on him. And I just can't, I can't help but sit back and wonder like, man, what would his life had looked like if he had been faithful and obedient to the call God had placed on his life? What would he have done? But you know whose name shows up in Hebrews 11 in the, in the faith hall of fame? Samson's. I'm like, what? Like, this guy's crazy. Like, how did, how did he get in here? If you go, you, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you look in Hebrews 11, we get down there and they're naming off all these people who exhibited great faith, right? And then you get to Hebrews 11, verse 32, and the writer says, and what more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon 
or Barak or Samson or Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through their faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. And here's where I think Samson comes into play. Whose weakness was turned to strength. Because at the end of Samson's life, don't we find him in the weakest state he's ever been in? I mean, he's blind. He's beat. He got no strength. So the spirit of God left him and he's tied between two pillars and he says, sovereign Lord, remember me. And God gives him strength to where he takes the place down. And ultimately he ends his life and the life of thousands of Philistines too. But that's not this great victory story for Samson. But what it does show us is it shows us just a glimpse of God's goodness. That God can take our weakness and still make it strong. Thursday night at GFUG, I was talking to our students about purpose in life. And I, I, think, I think I can very clearly, in my brain, tell you what everybody's purpose is. If you're in this room right now, I, I believe that your purpose is to fulfill God's purpose. I believe that's why you're on the earth. Is We're here to fulfill God's purpose. And I believe that whether you're a Christian or not. I believe that atheists who are not in churches today, you know what I think their purpose is? I think their purpose is to fulfill God's purpose. And why I say that is because you know whose image they're created in? They're creating God's image. So their purpose doesn't change. People who have different faith cultures in the Middle East, you know what their purpose is? It's to fulfill God's purpose. Why? Because they're creating God's image. Now, maybe you think that's too simple, but I think it's simple enough. That our purpose in life is to fulfill God's purpose. And when we line our purpose up with God's purpose, we're able to see his goodness and his faith. And we're able to find peace and rest and trust. And it doesn't mean life is easy. But when our purpose and God's purpose lines up, God can do amazing things. When our purpose and God's purposes are different, then we set ourselves up for stories like Samson's. Because a life lived apart from God is one that's not lived well. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how smart you are, how wealthy you are, how talented you are, how intelligent you are. None of that matters outside of God. It just doesn't. See, Samson, we saw somebody who was gifted, someone who's strong, someone who had abilities that other people probably wish they had had. But what he didn't have was he chose not to develop that relationship with the Lord. And we saw his life end in a very, very tragic way. And I think his stories included in Scripture as a reminder to us. Of what life looks like lived apart from God as opposed to what it should look like. One of the things that I think it's Alan Cersei's class that is famous for this saying. I hear it from them all the time. Now maybe I think Alan taught them this is, is that Alan, I think, says all the time. You're either there's three stages in life. You're either going into a storm. You're in it or you're coming out of it. Right. That's that. That's it. You're either in a storm 
I mean, you're either going into one, it's, it's, it's on its way. You're in it, or you're coming out of it. For me, in my life, for the last year, I've been in the storm. And I'm going to tell you, man, apart from having your purpose aligned with God's, apart from me having my purpose aligned with God's purpose, it would be unbearable. But when you know that your purpose is lined up with God's purpose, then we have promises that we can lean on, right? Doesn't God tell us in his word that he works all things together for the good of those who what? Love him and are called according to what? His purpose. See, when your purpose is in alignment with God's purpose, you have promises you can stand on. When you trust only your purpose, then the only thing that you can stand on is you. Samson bet all his chips on himself and ended his life in suicide. That's not what I want for my story. I don't think that's what most of you want for your story. See, the whole book of Judges is just this this cycle of people trusting themselves over and over and over again. And them failing over and over and over again. And God stepping in over and over and over again to try to rescue and redeem them. Praise God for us that he stepped into all of our stories by sending Jesus Christ. That we aren't doomed to a story like Samson's. We aren't doomed to a, a, a tragic life like Samson's. We have the opportunity to find redemption and grace and forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. And what it takes to do that is a life that's submitted to him. It takes a life that is surrendered to him. Samson didn't want to surrender his life. He wanted to control it. And he ruined it. Four ways to ruin your life. Treat temptation like it's harmless. Confuse your position. Trust your own uh, wisdom. Exempt yourself from obedience. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you know that you're guilty of one of those four things this morning. Maybe this is a great morning to, to submit that back to the Lord. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you have a spouse or, or a sibling or a child or a friend or a neighbor whose life looks like this. Maybe your job right now is to be that intercessor for them and to pray for God's goodness and his restoration and his justice to be played out in their lives. But what I think the challenge for all of us this morning is, is really simple Understanding God's purpose is going to be accomplished. Is your life going to be part of it? Is your life going to be included in that accomplishment of the purpose? Yeah, it is. But what's that going to look like? Is it going to be a victory story? Or is it going to be a tragedy? My prayer is that as a church, we would begin to start seeing more victory stories.
because we begin to have more and more of us who decide, you know what? My purposes are going to be what God's purposes are. And that may mean change and that may mean um, hard things in your life that you got to face. But man, so much worth it. So this morning we're going to have a time of invitation. The band's going to come back up and play. They're going to sing a song that we've sang quite a bit the last several weeks. And I love it because it just, it's a declaration of saying, I know, I know who I am. I'm a child of God because that's who, who God says I am. I may not feel like it and I may not, every part of my life may not look like it, but I know that's who I am. And this morning is the challenge to say, you know what, if if you're saying that, if you're like, well, I know I'm a child of God, but not all of my life looks that way. Why? Change that. Submit that to God this morning. Give up what you don't need in your life. Give up the purposes that you're holding on to that aren't his purposes. This can be a morning of freedom for you. This can be a moment where you say, you know what, I'm going all in on God's purpose. Maybe this morning, like I said, it's not you. Maybe it's somebody in your life that you need to just lift up. And you need to pray for. We want to see victory because we know that we already have it. 